You're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are, however you're listening, it's America's talk radio show about opera. It's Opera Box Score. I'm Weston Williams, joined this week by Oliver Camacho and Matt Cummings. All right, this week, Festival O22 has arrived, and that has nothing to do with Oprah. We go inside the huddle with Opera Philadelphia's Frank Luzzi for a play-by-play on one of the season's biggest events. Plus, in the two-minute drill, it's Richard Tucker gala season. What will Timothy Chalamet be wearing this time? Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow. On Apple Podcasts, you can just hit that plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You'll get an OBS beer coaster and an OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. And those are essentially identical to the ones from Season 7, but don't worry about that. So, without any further ado, Oliver Camacho, how's it going? It's going great, except there is a lot of melancholy in the air because Roger Federer has announced his retirement. And uh, as we speak, he is preparing to play in the Labor Cup, uh, which I don't know how you watch that thing, but uh, it'll probably be his last professional match. And um, it's the end of an era. I feel so old. And Matt Cummings, what is the end of an era for you? The end of my absence from this show, obviously. The prodigal son <laughs> returns. Uh, yes, we always wait with bated breath. You for went out with Astrid Varney, right? That was your. Yeah, with a bang. Yeah, oh, that, that's was a, true. that was a great. I have to say, I was listening from Santa Fe getting COVID and enjoying your Astrid Varney. So. <laughs> It really, uh, there's nothing quite like Opera Box Score to make the uh, the COVID go down smooth. Uh, George says, will the Bears ever beat the hated Packers? Well, there goes our Wisconsin audience. <laughs> Thank you for listening, Wisconsin. We enjoyed you. Sorry. What about you? <laughs> George missed the memo that we're trying to be less Chicago. <laughs> Let's talk some opera. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. Our guest today is the Vice President of Marketing, Communications, and Digital Strategy of Opera Philadelphia, my friend, Frank Luzzi. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Oliver, you honor me by having me on the show. I must say, I've been dying to say this line, which is, hey, it's Frankie from Philly, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> um, so you're the first um, marketing person we've ever had on the show. So we've had general directors, we've had stage directors, we've had librettists, um, we've had set designers, I think even, but you're the first marketing person. And I mean, let's just be transparent with our audience. They know that this is going to be a commercial for the O Festival, which is actually, if you're listening to this we'll on the day of this podcast. public service announcement. It's <laughs> yes. a PSA, exactly. <laughs> I, I will say, though, I am also uh, serving a, a yet another role as uh, co-producer of the Opera on Film series. So oh, great. Okay. I, 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 uh, Can I add that on to your title? Here, sure. Yes. My, <laughs> my email uh, signature is vast. Um, so I'm not only here to sell you something, I'm here to inform everyone about yeah, it, how awesome Opera, it's, Opera it's Philadelphia not, is. It's not about the length of the email signature, it's about the content. Exactly. 
So um, the, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, the day that it dropped, the O Festival began yesterday. Uh, let's catch the audience up on what is the O Festival? It sounds like something like for Oprah Winfrey fans, maybe, or for, <laughs> I don't know, it's collective orgasms or something. Both of those would be really fun. Um and, and, you know, if we can incorporate that into Festival O at some point, I, I think we'd be interested in exploring those partnerships. Uh, but no, it's, it's a festival of opera, O for opera. Uh, and the, the idea of the festival goes back to 2015, uh, when the company was, uh, you know, coming through about five years of a lot of experiment taking, continuing to do grand opera at the Academy of Music in Philadelphia, but experimenting with chamber opera, with new work, with site-specific opera, with uh, partnerships with uh, cabaret companies and, and other kinds of arts organizations. And the idea came to kind of cluster all of this activity in a binge over a two-week period uh, each fall to launch the season and to explore you know, what opera can be, should be, ought to be in the 21st century. Uh, so we kicked it off in 2017 with a massive effort, which featured uh, five full productions, three world premieres, um, something like 32 performances over 12 days. And it's kind of been shifting and, uh, you know, uh, changing up as we go. And of course, this is our first year back since 2019, because we had a pause, as did everyone else with the pandemic. Um, but now we're back to say, you know, what is opera now to us in 2022 and beyond? But you forgot to mention the highlight uh, of the O Festivals heretofore, which was the arrival of opera box score at the O Festival in 2019. Exactly. Yes, <laughs> that was a key, a highlight. Um, Festival O for Oliver. Um, and <laughs> really the pivotal moment in your company's yeah. history, I would, I would say, dare to say. It, yeah. it, it, it was significant, yes. And uh, Oliver got to see The Love for Three Oranges mm. and a really cool James Dara production of Semele. Um, what else did we do that year? I Oliver? saw Let Me oh. Die. Let Me Die with Joe yes. Keckler, yes. And Denise and Katya. And I also saw uh, Anthony Roth Costanzo uh, in a cabaret act, singing, yes, tap, and tap dancing and, and singing yes. Michael Jackson or George Gershon, I forget, all of, all of the above. <laughs> but but uh, why don't we go ahead and talk about this year's festival? I'll, I'll pass it off to uh, Matt Cummings to talk about one of his favorite singers and maybe composers. Yeah, I you 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 did catch me. I am in fact a Rossini <laughs> stan, and uh -huh. I was particularly excited to see that this year you were going to be doing the Rossini version of the Otello, which is not the version that most people are really used to mm -hmm. uh, when they hear about Otello. Uh, and the cast for that has some like really incredible names in it, and. I, I'm sure that we should let Frank say the yeah. names. He's got a yeah, lot of yeah, practice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do indeed. So it, it begins with the project really begins with two people, which is our, our music director, Corrado Rivaris, and our artistic advisor, the uh, wonderful tenor Lawrence Brownlee. Uh, Larry. We've heard uh, of him. Yes, yes. And, and last year, actually, we did his Amici Rivali concert with Michael Spires, in which they, they their album featured several pieces from the Rossini Otello. Um, and that 
effort began from like a viral video of the two of them doing it, doing the uh, the duet as an encore at a concert. Uh, but Larry had been wanting to do the, the role for some time and, but wanting to do the role of, wanting to do the opera for some time, but he was always being offered Otello because Otello, as we know, is an African and the black tenor Lawrence Brownlee gets offered that role. And he's like, but that's not the role for my voice. I really want to do Rodrigo. He wasn't getting that offer. So uh, we said, okay, let's do it. And then the casting around that, uh, we have uh, Daniela Mack as Desdemona, because um, obviously you need, you need Desdemona is a, is a key character, then you need to cast the three tenors. So you have Larry as um, Rodrigo, you have uh, Alex Schrader as Iago, and then for Otello, we have making his US debut, and let's see if I can get his name right, I've been practicing. <laughs> uh, because there's a click in there. It's Kinesio oh, there is. Gu there is yes, okay. and he's and he's uh, uh, he, he generously has been training some of us to to right. say it. Uh, it's Kiniso Guenzane. Nice. That's so, what the X right, does. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I can't can't wait to hear him sing. We actually have um, a little clip uh, from a preview concert uh, at at the WRTI. Is that where this took place? So here is. Okay, Caniso Guentane and Lawrence Brownlee singing probably the most famous number aside, aside from this Damona scene, uh, the duet Avieni nel tuo sangue. <laughs> Just a little bit of the duet from Rossini's operatic interpretation of Otello. Um, and this opera uh, hasn't opened yet as we are talking uh, when is opening opens day? on friday friday night the 23rd and we'll have four performances at the academy of music um which is the the uh, oldest continually continually operating opera house in the u.s uh dates back to 1857 it is it is a grand opera space uh and that is where we do our grand opera um, and yeah, it's going to be, it's the centerpiece of the, uh, festival. We like to, to kind of begin with a uh, big opera in the big opera house. And then we go off and do cool things and crazy things in other venues all around town. So, uh, another, uh, big show that's happening during this festival is the world premiere of friend of the show, Davy T. Little's Black Lodge. And this is going to be mixed media. Can you tell us about this show? Yeah, so David uh, worked with um, the composer Ann Waldman, who's a poet, a pretty famous poet, and um, uh, director Michael McQuilkin, uh, working together with Beth Morrison through Beth Morrison Projects. This was a piece that they were developing for years um, as a stage production. And uh, of course, again, pandemic, we'll say that word a lot. Um, you know, they, they shifted and they created it as a film. Um, but wanted to premiere it in a way that was partly a film experience, partly a live um, 
theater experience. So we have uh, the perfect place for that, which is currently called the Philadelphia Film Center, um, but has also previously operated, uh, operated as the Prince Theater. Uh, so it is a space for opera. It has a pit. Uh, but it's also a, a really great uh, place to see film in Philadelphia. So perfect place to have the film accompanied by live music with uh, uh, Tamora and the Dime Museum, the punk opera band from LA who developed this project uh, with the creative team, uh, a, a string quartet from the Opera Philadelphia Orchestra. And it's kind of a mashup of film screening and rock opera concert. It's pretty unique and pretty different from the Otello. It sort of feels like the baby of the pandemic and uh, opera, like all these companies were like trying to pivot to film and to streamed performances. And now we're back to live, but mm -hmm. maybe this is like the bastard child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Things. Cause I, cause I think finding a way to continue experimenting with opera on film, which is the name of something we'll get to soon, um, but also finding a way for it to live side by side with live performance is kind of the opportunity we have right now as an industry. Like we can leave streaming behind because if we thought it was just something to do until we were back on stage or we can uh, like ingest it into our weird operatic systems and see where it goes. So this is a really good, uh, to, to continue your baby analogy. Let's let's give birth to this baby and see what people think. So we're about to hear a little bit of music from Black Lodge. Will there be any singing in this clip we're about to hear? Uh, yes. Who's I singing? So. I have no idea this, who is. This is, to, this is Timur, okay. uh, who is a trained operatic tenor who fronts the band, the Dime Museum. Broken limbs, fractured And the opener of your festival is a new, a totally new piece uh, that's an adaptation of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven. Can you tell us a little bit more about that one? Yes. So the, the piece has actually been around since 2012. Um, Toshio Hosokawa is the composer. Uh, and it's about a 35-minute monodrama for mezzo-soprano um, and, and chamber orchestra. So it's a 12-piece 12 12 orchestra led by conductor Eiki Isamura. And uh, Kristen Choi, who just starred in our Rigoletto this past spring, and is also on our streaming channel and in our film series uh, for Tok Tok Shu by Renee Orth. Uh, Kristen stars in this piece. Um, and it is, it is the text of the Edgar Allan Poe uh, piece put to music. And it is really kind of spooky and, and, interesting and somewhat atonal like don't expect a lot of big arias um but it is being uh the prelude to the actual so the production of the actual opera is on the stage of the Miller Theater, which is formerly known as the Miriam Theater. It's right next door to the Academy of Music. We've created it as a 210 seat in the round experience on the stage of the Miriam. Uh, before that, there is an interactive component uh, led by a, a Philadelphia-based um, 
uh, devised theater company called the Obvious Agency. And this group of artists worked with director Aria Umazawa to put together a um, kind of experience to lead you up to the stage uh, and into the opera. And it's all inspired by Edgar Allan Poe. All seven of the performers you encounter are named Lenore. Uh, and they are <laughs> fractured parts of Lenore's uh, uh, identity, all trying to come back together and bring the audience together um, to heighten the experience of the opera. So we have been rehearsing this uh, for several weeks. It is very much a devised piece. So it's coming together very, very, like what I saw today was very different than what I saw a week ago. Um, and that might make some opera companies nervous, but we're just embracing it and having fun with it. Well, that gives me a chance to ask about the audience for the O Festival and the and how it might compare to the audience for Opera Philadelphia or the audience for the Metropolitan Opera for that matter. Yeah, the, the festival audience is, um, it includes our, our subscribers who, who subscribe to our full season. So we do have a subscriber base who they want opera at the Academy and then they will pick and choose and maybe find a couple of other things that they're adventurous and willing to give uh, a try to, but, but their core kind of opera going experience is coming to the Academy for operas they've heard of going to the Met for operas they've heard of. Cause it's, as you know, it's a 90 minute train ride from center city, Philadelphia. So um, we like to think of them as our partner to the North and not our competition. Um, if they think of us at all, I'm flattered. Uh, so, <laughs> um, uh, but, but yes, we get a lot of, um, Audiences who maybe don't want the traditional opera experience are attracted to the cabaret series or the film series or uh, something like The Raven that is, oh, I know the poem. Oh, this is a theater piece more so than a traditional opera. Let me give that a try. Um, and so we've introduced a lot of people to the art form by kind of branching out and doing new things with it. You know, we may get some you know, Nine Inch Nails fans to come to Black Lodge because the, oh, you know, sure, the, yeah. the world, you know, the sound worlds are pretty similar. Well, um, speaking of film, as we did at the top of this, um, we should say that uh, Soldier Songs, which we talked about extensively during the pandemic, was produced by Opera Philadelphia. Um, and many other companies created only for film opera during the pandemic. And uh, another part of this series, uh, a new part of this series, which didn't exist last time I was there, is opera on film. Uh, can you talk about how this came together and how you got all these uh, partners to offer submissions? Yes. So first of all, uh, I remember the episode of Opera Box Score in which you all talked about how Soldier Song should have won the Grammy. So I appreciate uh, that and thank you. Um, but you know, it's an honor. It's an honor to be nominated. Uh, but yes, so uh, during the pandemic, we, we created a number of uh, digital shorts that were world premiere um, 10 to 20 minute, 20 minute opera films, and then two kind of longer pieces, Soldier Songs and the Le Bois Umen with uh, Patricia Reset. And, uh, you know, had a pretty good streaming audience, but 
um, all along, we were looking at these films as these are these are something that eventually our audience should experience together in a theater. We should figure out a way to put these pieces into the theater going experience. Um, and then we, you know, we we saw that throughout our industry there were a number of really great um, films that were being made during the pandemic. And then, of course, there's the history of opera on film that is you know, quite frankly, hit or miss. Some of it's really great. Some of it's four cameras pointed at a stage, which is fine, but that wasn't what we were looking to do. So we had this idea of putting this film series within the festival. We kept stumbling over the word festival. It's a film festival in an opera festival. Too many words say festival. Let's like, so it's the opera on film series as part of Festival O. Um, and we put out a call to the, to the industry to say, hey, we're doing this. If you'd like to submit your films, uh, we set up an account on Film Freeway, which is how you enter film festivals. And lo and behold, oh, the learnings. Uh, so we had over <laughs> 800, we had over 800 submissions in a two month period. I will admit that when you put a film festival on Film Freeway that does not require you to pay an admission fee, you get all kinds of films. So about 60% of those films had nothing to do with opera. It was just like, I'm gonna submit my film to every festival that doesn't charge me a fee. But we also ended up with like 350, you know, entries that were operatic and needed to be considered. We put a, a, a panel together. We watched lots of film. And we curated the selection of 30-ish films that we're going to show over six days um, in 12 screening events. So like Soldier Songs will kick it off on Tuesday, September 27th. We'll show the film. We'll have a talk with Jonathan McCullough and David T. Little and some other members of the creative team. Uh, and then we'll have programs of shorts with several different uh, films um, kind of gathered together. We're showing some classics like the Joseph Losi Don Giovanni from 1979, which is widely considered like one of the best was, cinematic was one operas. of my introductions to opera when I started yeah. learning about it as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> and then we're also, you know, we wanted something that was maybe inspired by opera. So we're showing the MTV film Carmen, a hip opera with Beyonce. Um, and the Copper Queen, which was created by Arizona Opera. Um, we have a, a really fun uh, double bill with the uh, Patricia Reset Lavoie Humaine, uh, shown back to back with Pedro Almodovar's The Human Voice with Tilda Swinton, which was made <laughs> also during the pandemic, like it, a few months. It came out a few months before our Lavoie, and I was like, it's the play and the opera that the play inspired in two recent films. Let's put them together. So there's a lot. Including so, a short film by a certain Chicago-based director, George <laughs> George Cedar. Something, something, something yeah, yeah. yeah. You're Never making him blush. Um, <laughs> so we were going to try to get Beyonce to speak on behalf of the Opera on Film uh, series within the festival. We ended up with you. So uh, we're yeah. going to talk, so talk about, we're going to listen me. <laughs> we're gonna listen to a little bit of this Arizona opera submission. It's called The Copper Queen. If you want, I will 
we've got the film series. We've got immersive theater with The Raven. We have the Black Lodge, tra more traditional opera with Othello. I understand that there's also a recital in partnership in your partnership with the Academy of Vocal Arts. And those of you who have attended operas anywhere in the United States, you've almost certainly seen an opera with an alum, not, with an alum of the AVA in it. And uh, I understand a pretty notable alumna is coming back to do a recital as part of this festival. Indeed, yes. So, you know, Philadelphia is a great training ground for opera singers at both the Academy of Vocal Arts and the Curtis Institute of Music. Uh, so ABA is generously opening up their doors during both weekends of the festival. Um, Andre Corville will be the uh, alum coming back to headline a recital on Saturday, September 24th. And then we are thrilled that on Saturday, October 1st, uh, Latanya Moore is coming in um, to, to headline a, a recital. Uh, there is a lot of buzz for that. She, of course, you know, at the Met in Fire Shop of My Bones recently, and it's just, you know, we love her and are so excited that she'll be here. Well, let's listen to a little bit of Latanya. Uh, here she is singing that other Otello, one by a guy named Joe Verdi, uh, called Joe Green. Uh, this is the, the Ave Maria sung by Latanya Moore. So we've just about covered everything, but you do offer like for people who need like wall to wall events and don't want to go back to their hotel room or to their Airbnb as it might turn out. Um, you have something called late night snacks. And that's the series where I heard um, Anthony Roth Costanzo doing his cabaret show. And I, I understand that Zachary James, friend of the show, uh, also did one um, a couple of years ago, which I loathe to have missed. Uh, what's on slate this year for late night snacks so late night snacks this year is in a different neighborhood it's in a different neighborhood every year um and it is at a former electric factory which they've dubbed the switch um at the first uh performance the um uh the head of the bearded ladies cabaret john jarbo uh performed a cabaret version of the electric slide which was the coolest thing i've ever heard and so we have a variety of different drag queens cabaret stars opera singers performing through uh throughout they they started september 10th as part of the philadelphia fringe festival and will continue on through uh october 2nd uh we have a an opera singer from uh, London coming in, who goes by the name Le Gâteau Chocolat. Have the chocolate here. cake. Yes, will be here on uh, Thursday, September 22nd. And just a, a um, Martha Graham cracker will be performing. Uh, <laughs> Cookie Diorio uh, will leave uh, being in the chorus of Otello and then go be hostess for a number of late night snacks performances. It is a great way to unwind um, when you've sometimes had to deal with the, the sometimes heavy 
uh, storylines of opera, go get a, a cocktail like the uh, Hopper Philadelphia Hazy IPA from Kachahaken <laughs> Brewing Company. Uh, plug there. I'm actually going to drink one on the show here, which I promised to do. I'll now that's open synergy. that up. There you go. <laughs> I, I have to do a little marketing. It's in my yeah. title. So say it. So uh, say it. So say it more slowly, so we can get the the proper plug in there. Hop Hopra so Hopra Philadelphia, the blend okay. of hops and opera. It's uh, served at late night snacks and at, at all of our performance venues. And it's by our partners of uh, Concha Hucken Brewing Company here in Philadelphia. Um, and it is just another way to uh, get a different taste of opera. <laughs> so all of these details are available, obviously, at operaphila.org. Uh, hopefully you will plan to come and see something uh, over there at the festival. You might see me on the weekend of September 30th through October 2nd. So look for me. Uh, that is Festival hi. Oliver weekend, as <laughs> yes. we will now call it. <laughs> and say hi. Uh, before we let you go, Frank, I have a little uh, fantasy football update from Tobias. Uh, Aha! Who's dead to us. Uh, he says... Enemy of the show. Yeah. Yes. We say we are undefeated after week one of the fantasy football season. We were the underdogs going into the week, but some feisty management with the roster and waiver wire and our opponent having a poor performance from their final roster spot have allowed us to taste the sweet nectar of victory. Amazing, I, no Oliver, I almost believe that you knew what that meant. <laughs> I have no idea what any of that means, but uh, if you care to respond. The, uh, the OBS team is 2-0, and I will say now, wow. as, of, as of this week, uh, leading the Chamber Opera Division. There are 12 teams in this fantasy football league. There's a Grand Opera Div Division, a Chamber Opera Division. Uh, Lawrence Brownlee has a team. Uh, Opera Box Score has a team. Uh, my team started out poorly, but rebounded this week. Uh, my team is called Fire Shut Up in Mahomes for Patrick Mahomes. Um, <laughs> there are many opera pun uh, team names. Um, and uh, yeah. Can you it's just, just for the audience, to have Tobias uh, bragging already yeah. about his fast start? Because well, last just, year, not so good. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just for the audience's uh, sake, sure. what, what, are the, what are the stakes of this competition? I mean, oh. uh, what what happens if you are at the bottom of the league or if you or if you win in fact well there is a gold championship belt uh, hmm. that the champion uh, gets to carry each year lawrence brownlee won last year so he's been wearing the belt over his shoulder or around his waist in otello rehearsals i'm trying to convince him to wear it out for bows but i don't know that i'm going to win that one um and uh, that, so it's bragging rights and the title belt. So okay. uh, this we've done it five years. I have yet to win. Yeah. I'm just the lowly commissioner that gets everybody together to have fun. Well, I hope you guys um, have budgeted uh, the shipping cost for sending that to Chicago. Ah, <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's good. I like it. Absolutely. We would be, or or Larry could like carry, a, 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 uh, no, he's, he's singing. Oh, he's Eric, singing. But, He's singing Contori, yeah. actually. Yeah. So yeah, he could bring but it. But it's before him. the end of the season. But maybe he'll bring uh, it and show it to you. To you. Okay. So so you can all see what it looks like and 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 uh, you know dream to have well, we it should, one year. <laughs> we should definitely get a picture with it, and it could, we could embargo it in case you know. It doesn't <laughs> there we happen. go. Yeah. There we go. Frank Luzzi, um, vice president of marketing communications, digital strategy, and the. Uh, commissioner of the football fantasy football league and the producer of the opera on film series. I think I've got all of your 
I think credits. you've got it all. I'm also the vice president of the Michael Solomon fan club. Quick Chicago shout out. Um, <laughs> and father and husband. Indeed. Yes. yes. Other duties as assigned. <laughs> so, uh, and well, wearing my, my throwback Allen Iverson jersey, even though it's not video, yeah. but I felt like I needed to to yeah. uh, represent because I, I must say there's nothing like what I, when I got into opera, opera people love to talk about opera in specific ways. And the fact that you've blended the passion of sports talk radio with opera, genius. I love it. That's why I've been a fan. So again, this is a big moment for me. I'm going to be, <laughs> I'm going to be sharing this to so many people. Great. I well, made it. We'll I hold you to first, that. Yeah, I was the first person from the the marketing suite allowed to come in onto the show. I hope I I hope I did right by everyone. Well, let's be honest, you're probably the last one. So thank you for I coming probably, yeah. on to Opera Box Score. We'll see you at the O Festival. Thank you. This just in the two minute drill. All right, listen up. Here's everything you need to know about what happened in Cheesesteak Land this week. The lineup for the next Richard Tucker Gala has been announced. The star-studded 2022 concert celebrating award winner Angel Blue will feature performances by friends of the show Christine Gerke, Ryan Speedo-Green, and Russell Thomas, plus future friends of the show Stephen Costello, Joyce DiDonato, Michael Fabiano, Angela Mead, and Christian Van Horn as well as Soprano Nadine Sierra. Speranza Scappucci <laughs> will conduct members of the Met Orchestra and the New York Choral Society for the gala in November. The Austrian Music Theater Prize announced its 10th annual awards earlier this month. Anna Natrapko <laughs> took, home, took home the best female leading role for her portrayal of Verdi's Lady Macbeth. George Zeppenfeld won best male leading role for Gunnermans in Parsifal. The Theater Ander Wien also received awards for the Best Opera Production of The Fiery Angel, for which Andrea Brett received the Director's Prize. Vera Lotz-Becker won the Best Young Singer Award for her portrayal of Michaela at Wiener Staatsoper. And conductor Seiji Ozawa was honored with the Special Award for International Cultural Engagement. Larry Gergiev will not receive any severance pay after being fired from the Munich Philharmonic. A spokesperson for the orchestra said that the conductor had not taken any legal action either. Quote, he probably doesn't care, given his wealth. And his secret Milan restaurant, am I right? Munich Mayor Dieter Reiter added, quote, he doesn't get any money, and it didn't cost us a cent. I like how you say Valeria. It almost sounds like you just said Larry. And I think we should call <laughs> you him... You know, Larry Gary. <laughs> we should call him <laughs> Larry, Larry Gary. <laughs> <laughs> The San Francisco Opera is celebrating its centennial with the debut of a free online library and the inaugural video series Streaming the First Century. The online service will be free for selected historic recordings from the company's past, along with rare artist interviews and other archival and original media. The first, ses- the first season will include Tchaikovsky's Eugene Onegin and will offer an in-depth exploration of the works of Czech and Russian composers. Crunching the numbers and reporting the unthinkable. The New York Post reported last Friday that the Phantom of the Opera would close on Broadway this winter after 35 years, the longest running show on the Great White Way. The show took in $2 million in ticket sales by 8 p.m. that night. The tills are alive with the sound of the music of the night, intoned producer Cameron McIntosh. Phantom is definitely coming to an end in New York on February 18th, shortly after a lavish bath bash for its 
35th anniversary. In trade news, Lyric Opera of Chicago has announced that Jennifer Elaine Boyd will become its new Vice President of People and Culture. Lyric's Chief Financial and Administrative Officer Roberta Lane said, quote, through her commitment to promoting a culture of inclusion and the advancement of Lyric's mission, Jennifer will become an integral force in the company's future. Exit stage right. Italian South African tenor Nicola Cencarle, a regular at Cape Town Opera, has died. Spanish soprano Ana Maria Sanchez, who performed at many of the top houses in Europe, has died at age 63 after a battle with cancer. And Pomeranian conductor Klaus Weise, who held the post of chief conductor at Opera de Nice, has died at age 86. And on this day, September 20th, we're recording on a Tuesday this time, in 1769, it was the first performance of André Gretry's Le Tableau Parlant in Paris. In 1839, Albert Lord sings Caramo, not Caramo from uh, Queer Eye, but just Caramo Order der Fischerstechen, premiered in Leipzig. In 1880, Italian composer Ildebrando Pizzetti was born in Parma. In, in 1897, Victor Herbert's operetta The Idol's Eye premiered in Troy, New York. What a place to have a premiere. In 1938, Jane Manning, an English soprano, was born in Norwich. 1955 saw the American debut of Elizabeth Schwarzkopf in Der Rosenkavalier at San Francisco. And in 1975, a very good year, I might add, uh, an opera called Captain Jinx of the Horse Marines, which is an opera by Jack Beeson, premiered in Kansas City. And that's your two-minute drill. heard a clip of the famous Elizabeth Schwarzkopf Marshall in the final trio with little bits of Zeno Jornatz as the Octavian and Annalisa Rotenberger as Sophie coming in. That's from the Chinner film version. Not from the San Francisco premiere. But... No, I couldn't find any archival yeah. recordings from that. We'll have to wait until it makes it <laughs> off to the streaming site. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you, folks, it's been a little bit of a slow news week here. So slow, in fact, that... Uh, uh, if you heard me laughing during my announcement of the trade news of Jennifer Elaine Boyd, um, that was because I have a little bit of what we call in the business Ron Burgundy syndrome, where I do read what's on the page in front of me. And uh, certain uh, co-hosts were fiddling with things in the um, in the doc to mess me up, but I nailed it. I basically you nailed did. it. So, you did it. Yeah. But I wanted to, as long as we're talking about that story, um, and I'm no, no shade whatsoever, really no shade, but a lot of DEI people like who are getting into administration are zipping right to VP status. It's like, I mm, should have, yeah. 
why did I choose podcasting when I could have been you could have been VP of something? I know. You could be VP of podcasting. <laughs> Is Phantom of the Opera VP of the musical world, Matt? It's VIP of the musical theater world. I mean, I've or made was. I've made no secret of my love a phantom of the opera even though that is like kind of controversial in the opera world i think Mm -hmm. it is kind of a misunderstood and maligned show because it is so funny like it's just so ridiculous and the fact that it's closing after 30 it's sort of like the queen of england dying at 96 like the fact that the show closed after 35 years being a shock is in itself ridiculous um and ticket sales have been trending down for a while the musical theater tiktok has been all over this story and um it won't surprise anyone who is on this show or listens to the show that my tiktok has become very musical theater focused because what can i say i really love people doing impressions of famous singers um but anyway they people have been doing like crunching some intense numbers and just showing that like the house is not selling anyone who's within 100 miles of new york city has seen has had the chance to see the show and has seen it it's it and tourism's not what it was it's expensive the show is huge um and what i actually think they're trying to do is take it away for like two years and then bring it back with a cheaper revival because that mm. is kind of how cameron mcintosh likes to do things a, a slightly smaller chandelier at the very end uh matt mm. I wa- because it's a slow week i do want to ask you a little bit what do you think of like the classical references and pastiche happening in Phantom? What makes it so interesting musically for us opera people? What I have long what I have long said about this show is that the like marquee moments are pretty schlocky. Like, yes, music of the night's a great tune, or whatever. He stole it from Puccini. Um <laughs> all I ask of you, like, whatever. The best parts of the show, like by far compositionally, are the patter moments, the comedy like the comedy scaffolding that like holds the show together. Um and it features three spot on it like impersonations of a Meyerbeer opera, a Mozart opera, and a dead ringer for the rake's progress like and <laughs> the i big will three. you know the, a classic trio <laughs> and all the there are all these jokes when they're because the phantom the phantom writes the rake's progress opera and there's all these jokes about how none of the singers can figure out how to do it because it's all modern and it's in like mixed meter and whole tone scales <laughs> and you know if you know you know <laughs> yeah i love me some rake's progress which should come as no surprise to anyone um uh, but uh, uh, oh, go ahead, Oliver. Okay. Well, I just I want to step away from Rake's progress and talk about the Richard Tucker Award. Oh yes. Um. So we knew that Angel Blue was going to be getting this award back in I don't want to say May or February. I forget when they announced those things. But the, the gala is coming around, and it's always exciting to see this concert, which usually ends up on PBS. Um. And we obviously didn't have uh this gala in 2020 or 2021. But we should remember that Angel Blue has had sort of a year. Uh, she deleted her social media accounts after her uh, personal protest of Verona de, Arena de Verona. Uh, right. She was scheduled to sing um, Traviata, but she withdrew from her debut at Arena de Verona because of the blackface scandal uh, surrounding their historic production of Aida. And Richard Tucker Foundation has sort of its own kind of not savory past. Uh, they have only ordered one other black singer, uh, the Richard Tucker Award, that'd be L- Larry Brownlee, friend of the show. 
and one, well, now two Hispanic singers, uh, Eileen Perez in 2012 and Nadine Sierra in 2017. So in the, you know, 30 plus history of this awards, uh, this, this, this grant, this career award, um, yeah, to not be that inclusive. Um, they'd rather give it to a countertenor, it would seem, than to give it to a, a black woman. <laughs> didn't didn't Lisa Oropesa win? Yes. A couple years ago? What does she identify as? Is she Latina? I believe she's Cuban, okay. but I could be wrong about that. No, yeah, no, I think, I think so. That sounds right. But anyway, uh, they have had some problems. Uh, I forget, is it Barry Tucker? I, I shouldn't say this without knowing, but there have been some accusations of uh, racism in this organization. So I remember there was a story we probably covered it a couple of years ago, and I've already forgotten it because that's how well I hold information in my head. But I just remember that there was a scandal. So um, anyway, uh, I'm so happy for Angel Blue. She's going to be back in the spotlight for something good. And uh, I'm looking forward to her being feted, surrounded by some incredible singers, some of whom are friends of the show. Absolutely. And on the opposite end of people who deserve being fatted, uh, we got our old friend Larry, uh, Larry <laughs> Gergiev, uh, not getting any severance pay, which I feel like ordinarily would be something that would make me a little bit nervous. You know, people like not getting paid for their political views. But I think the the general like vibe of the quotes is just being like, yeah, he doesn't really care. He's wealthy. It doesn't cost us any money. The absolute... I don't think there's a risk of him suing them necessarily. Exactly. The, the absolute like energy of <gasps> the whole thing uh i don't have i can say whatever i want now we're not on dallas anymore no baby. but we're on we're on wnur oh no <laughs> yeah you gotta go in there and, you gotta go in there and bleep that bleep that <laughs> i oh god i'm not gonna bleep two things thanks oliver <laughs> uh but i do think it's very funny how everyone in the opera world is just so over gergiev's uh, political machinations uh that it, it's time to just cut it off and just move on with our lives and uh, maybe one day they'll do that with a certain soprano who we had to mention earlier but um, we can hope let's move on to good call bad call good call bad call on opera box score all right good call bad call that's how we end every show even this one oliver what have you got for me so we are at the beginning of all of the uh seasons so it's it's the season debut season it's the prima season season <laughs> and uh we we had uh collaborative arts institute of chicago's uh collaborative works festival which nick pon nicholas pon curates and uh celebrating um chicago composers uh, historical and contemporary uh we have haymarket opera coming up really soon we talked about last mm -hmm. week with a uh, friend of the show michael skarkey singing otone and friend of the show erica schuler singing popea uh we had two primas at lyric opera ernani which prime. i saw say what prime due prime, due prime. ernani <laughs> starring friend of the show russell thomas which is still running and a friend of the show, Tamara Wilson, which uh, is still running. Also in that cast, Christian Van Horn and uh, Quinn Kelsey, friend of the show. That's a triple friend of the show show. <laughs> triple threat. Uh, and they also opened back to back with Fiddler on the Roof, the Barry Kosky production, which everybody's raving about. I saw it. I enjoyed it very much. The set design is gorgeous and stark and emotional. And the performances are very good especially the Golda, I don't know her name, but she she blew me away. But 
the thing that has impressed me the most so far in this beginning of the season has been Music of the Brokes, Jephtha, starring David Portillo uh, and other people. Uh, but David Portillo uh, has reached a new level. Uh, I've been following his career since he was uh, in the Ryan Opera Center. He's always had a great technique. He's always had a beautiful tone. But he is becoming a true artist. And this handle stuff, yes, you can be flashy in it. But there's also a lot of rhetoric in this music. And he understands that. He was going for some very in intelligent phrases and some barely audible, I won't say off the voice, but just pianissimi. And he was taking his time and he was using silence. Uh, it was all good stuff. Congratulations, David or David. I don't know how you go, uh, but it was really impressive. I I totally agree with that, Oliver. I had the pleasure of singing in the chorus of that production. So it was not inside baseball because it already happened. We're not trying to drum up support. <laughs> um, and from behind, I was incredibly impressed basically anytime he opened his mouth, um, which all which really went for the entire cast. But especially for the soprano singing Iphis, who was a, a, who's a young soprano named Lauren Snuffer, Snuffer mm. who I had not heard of before, but I never heard her make a bad sound in any rehearsal, in any, like it, every single note was completely immaculate. Her phrasing was so lovely. Her tone was crystal clear and limpid, and she just brought such a really regal and wonderful character to life in, in a role that could easily be two-dimensional in uh less adept hands uh yeah. she does have and, some recordings online and but... a slow trill which was beautiful i love myself a slow trill anybody who could execute <laughs> one of those they call him it. oliver <laughs> slow trill camacho <laughs> i mean i think my good call is probably going to be matt sitting back there in the chorus just singing away you know just uh really really uh Given that extra spice to that tenor section, you know, Georga puts the chorus through his paces in that show. <laughs> but <laughs> I have another little good call. Uh, there's an NPR story, it's kind of a fun little story about uh, a prompter and his work on the production of the the, the much maligned production of uh, Anthony Cleopatra by John Adams. Uh, perhaps unfairly, so I've not seen it. Uh, but the the story itself is a very interesting sort of day in the life look at an opera box prompter, and it's uh, I, I always think it's a the idea of a prompter is so interesting to me uh, because it's it's such a holdover in many ways from the the heyday of the 19th century, um, and it's really worth checking out. It's a lot of fun. NPR does good stuff. I used to work for them once. Hey, that's it for this week's edition of America's talk radio show about opera. Our announcer is Norm Woodell. He is at normwoodell.com. That's Woodell with one L. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Stitcher and Spotify. Click follow on Apple Podcasts. Hit that plus sign. Send us a voice memo or email us your hot takes at operaboxscore at gmail.com. You'll get an OBS beer code and an OBS lapel pin just for sharing your own hot take. And if you say something wrong, Oliver will get to make fun of your take in real time. It'll be great. Our creative consultant is Oliver Camacho. For your co-hosts, Matt Cummings and our guest, Frank Luzzi, I'm Weston Williams asking you to continue the conversation about opera as you plug your hopperatic beer. We're back with an all-new so show next week. Plus, you'll get more opera headlines, more hot takes, and more music of the night. Grasp it, sense it, tremulous and tender. Join us. 
Hearing is believing. Music is deceiving.